This is Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget. Chapter 17, Protego Diabolica. Draco made his way off the Durmstrang ship with reluctance and stopped short when he saw he had left the gangway tied down. Severus could have gotten on the ship anyway, surely, but Draco had made it especially easy for him. Draco was new to this whole supervillain business, all right. He went to the library and feigned ignorance with his friends, but he had no such recourse with Severus. He received his godfather's summons right after dinner, and tromped over to Severus's chambers with a feeling of impending doom. Severus's rage did not disappoint him. Draco reminded himself that he was lucky to be able to see Severus raging at all that Severus had once been buried too far underground for that magnificent rage to ever be loosed again. It didn't make it sting any less for his godfather to call him foolish. Reckless, vain boy, Severus raged. The Talon Brand. What is this sick invention of yours? You called it like the Dark Mark. You have no conception of the gravity of such lies. You make up powers for yourself like a school child playing pretend, with no preparation for the fact that in time you might be called upon to produce them. Never speak of this invention again. Never I have been too encouraging, too forgiving. I have given you the freedom of the school, covered your every mistake, medicated your overuse of magic, enabled you at every step, and I am repaid thus. I had to make him fear me. Draco protested, so he would stay away from you. Karkaroff's presence or absence, Severus growled, will not change this, and rolled up his left sleeve and showed Draco his dark mark. You know what this is, child. Of course, Draco said. He'd used to wear one. I've seen father's, but his is lighter. It will be no longer, Severus said grimly. Karkaroff is panicking because the marks are darkening. It marks the strength of the Dark Lord growing. And Karkaroff turned traitor and handed Death Eaters over to the Ministry. He has drawn the mantle of Durmstrang headmaster and their facade of dark magic around himself like a poor invisibility cloak. But he fears for his own hide regardless should the Dark Lord return. He wants nothing more of me than to vent his fears. You don't know that, Draco protested. I think he's plotting something. 
I think he was the one to put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire. I think he's trying to kill him, and he might have help. But Draco couldn't mention Crouch. Or maybe he wants help. He might want you to do it. Stay away from Karkaroff, Draco. I know the man and his measure. I will handle him. You need to stay as far away as possible from men with marks like this. He gestured to his own arm, then rolled down his sleeve with icy precision. Except you, sir? Draco asked in a small voice, and Severus rolled his eyes and nodded. You have been spoiled rotten. Tomorrow morning you will bring me the permission I gave you to go flying at night, and I will destroy it. Draco opened his mouth to protest. Let that be a lesson to you, and it will help you stay clear of a crumb. I expect from here on out to be as little involved in anything related to Kokoroff and Durmstrang as possible. Including the Triwizard Tournament. Especially the Triwizard Tournament. Do you think Kokoroff will relish seeing you rushing about, trying to help your beloved Potter? You with your new false dark mark. I won't be there. I told Harry I wouldn't help him with third task at all. Severus tilted his head quizzically. I figured some things out about the second task and told him, but I told him if he shared it with Diggory then I wouldn't help him next time. He did what? Severus breathed, looking as dumbfounded as any sane person should rightly be. What madness is this to assist a competitor? No one is in danger of death. And here, I thought saving Delacour's sister was his crowning jewel of ineptitude in this tournament. You see, Draco... The utter uselessness of the boy. It doesn't matter, Draco said with a sigh. I promise I'll stay away from the tournament and from Karkaroff. Dear Dragonface, my brand from your wand has not faded in the slightest, nor does it hurt or have any adverse effects, but then again I haven't done anything since then, against my terrifying cousin or his terrifying wand. Remus says the brand is ugly, but that he's gotten used to it. Still, any information on how to make it fade or disappear would be greatly appreciated. Not that I don't like a reminder on me of my darling nephew, but if we could get the one off my palm, I could get a tattoo for you or something. Not that Remus, reading over my shoulder, seems to approve. I have offered to get a tattoo of his name, or at least his initials on me as well, and he does not seem thrilled with this prospect either. Honestly, 
Sometimes Mooney can be such a stick in the mud. Not that he doesn't like the tattoos I have. He just won't admit it. I know you complain I never give you any information back, but there's really not much news to share on our part. The only interesting things going on are with me and Remus, and he says I already overshare with you about that. But I'm trying to provide a positive queer role model for an impressionable youth. He never seems convinced by that either. Sourpuss. He's lucky he's cute. Seriously, though, nephew, my important message of this letter is stop branding people with your wand as much as you can. I hate to concur with your godfather here, but by Merlin, you had better stop telling people it's like the dark mark, or your doting uncle will be forced to imperil himself by returning to Hogwarts to beat some sense into you. Sincerely, your grim-faced uncle. Draco was going to be a better godson, he resolved, and a better nephew. That didn't keep him from continuing on the wolfsbane with Hermione, and it didn't keep him from going to the storeroom and taking nightshade, octopus powder, tincture of demiguys and pomegranate seeds. The other ingredients were too rare or expensive to take from Severus. They were enough for now, though, to set up in the room of requirement for the first step of naufragium. That was, he intended to use the room of requirement to make naufragium, but it terrified him. The potion-making space he called up was different from the small, sleek, dueling one, and looked far too much like the room had with the fiend fire for Draco to stay there for long. He was stumped for a place to hide the brew, until he remembered he would have to conduct a ritual on the earth of the land, and working from the grounds already would make that easier. It saved him the trouble of carting over the cauldron too far on the day of the ritual. He snuck outside the castle that night, using the marauder's map, using the secret passage through the Whomping Willow to the Shrieking Shack, and cleaned the space magically as best he could, before setting the cauldron there. The first step was easy. He was just glad he'd taken enough tincture of demiguys to fully submerge the pomegranate seeds. Now he waited three days. The news they had to give up flying at night meant Crumb was very glum, but at least it gave Draco more time to work on all his illegal potions. Several days after Draco told him, Crumb came up and said, I have asked Kakarov for permission to, for us to go flying together at nights, but he was very unhappy and said many things about you. I do not think Kakarov likes you very much. Next, Crumb would be telling him the sky was blue and Hogwarts had four houses. Before then, though, there was Hogsmeade on the 6th, making it vitally important that Draco had gotten out of his sickbed when he did. Once again, he had to beg off his non-date with Harry in the name of stealing supplies for the Wolfsbane, and Harry accepted it to help Sirius and Remus, though he looked let down. Draco would have to come up with some other excuse to cancel, though, even if he didn't get the ingredients for naufragium. He was well aware that he couldn't carry on with his plan of ignoring Harry's feelings, feigning continued ignorance, and avoiding being alone with Harry until the end of time, but he'd crossed that bridge when it came to it. For now, illegal apparition to rob his own parents 
normalcy. Except when Draco had apparated into the manor storeroom and filled his bag with all the acromantula venom, black quicksilver, niffler's fancy and pickling solutions he could carry. Then he cast a featherlight charm on it and stuffed in more. He found the bag pulled out of his hands, along with his wand from his pocket. He knew he'd been forgetting something, not getting Harry to give him the invisibility cloak this time. For the second time in two days, someone had gotten the jump on him with Expelliarmus, and Draco recognised the voice that had said it. Not his favourite person to be stuck in these cellars without a wand. Did you notice the dragon decal was missing? Draco asked weakly, turning to face his father. Of course he had. The thing was on Draco's bloody door. He didn't know why he hadn't thought of it before it was too late. And the pictures? And took precautions, father said coldly, against my own son robbing me. Now, let me see what it is you have risked illegal apparition to gather. He ignored the wand at his feet for now, picking up Draco's sack and beginning to look at the ingredients. Acromantula venom, very expensive. Black quicksilver, niffler's fancy, expensive, expensive. Either you're brewing some very dangerous potion or you're stealing to augment Severus's stores with that paltry Hogwarts income. Don't you dare say anything about my godfather. You should have brought your pet mudblood. You're terrible at plans on your own. Don't you dare call her that. But see, Draco, father said with manic-eyed satisfaction. I am the one making threats now, and without that wand you will be yourself again. I am trying to save you, you ungrateful boy. You were a good son before that wand. That was the first news Draco had ever heard of that. And once you no longer have it, you will behave properly as a Malfoy again. It must fall on me to destroy it. But somehow, he thought it a good idea to bend down and pick it up, before casting Fiendfire on it or something. No, wait, father, Draco called, casting his own self-preservation instincts as much into question as Harry's had ever been. It was too late anyway as father picked up the talon wand and dropped it as soon as he had, crying out in pain. His right hand went to his left, seizing it in agony and dropping his wand. Draco rolled his eyes and went over, to easily pick up both wands. Why would you do that, father? You know what it did to mother. Now you have matching brands. Was that your intention? How... Unusually romantic of you. Undo this, father bellowed. You wicked bastard child. See, calling me a bastard is dangerously close to speaking ill of my mother, Draco drawled, keeping both wands pointed at father. And you know what happens to tongues that speak ill of me or my associates. You remember?
You will pay for this, father growled. But when Draco ordered him to pick up and repack the potion's ingredients, he did. You know, Draco sighed, you really hurt my feelings, father. I think I'm going to need more acromantula venom to pay for my emotional damages. Father stalked over to the venom, sack in hand. How much? he spat. All of it, Draco said. And when father turned to stare at him with murder in his eyes, Draco just held up his father's wand. You might recall, I don't know if mother told you, that wands other than mine have a bad habit of dissolving when I try to use them. Should I try to summon the venom myself with your wand instead? and make an experiment of it. Father packed the venom into the sack with shaking hands, the sound of the brand sizzling against the glass of the jars, but not enough to contaminate it. Don't worry, Father. You know the brand stops hurting soon enough. What is this brand? Father bit out, clutching at his wrist once Draco took the sack of ingredients from him. What does it do? And oh, if that wasn't the best invitation ever to tell him about the so-called Talon brand. But Draco was trying to stick to Severus's orders more, and he wasn't sure if his father would believe it anyway. Who else has it? Karkaroff, for one, Draco said. But you already knew that, right? A strange impulse seized Draco and he knew little would probably come of it, even as he asked, Father, what is Karkaroff up to? What? Father growled. Do you want now, you malformed demon child? Karkaroff's dark mark is getting darker again and all that, Draco said casually. Yours must be too, right? Draco could see where clutching the wrist of his hurt hand had pushed up the left sleeve. Father was usually so careful, but a darker version of his mark was indeed visible just at the bottom. Father quickly pushed his sleeve down when Draco saw. I know Karkaroff is planning something, and Father, if you could help, if you could bring it to Dumbledore, you could switch sides. Whatever the Dark Lord is going to do, it's not too late. I know you have the mark, but Severus switched sides before, so you can... Why? Father groaned. Do you persist in meddling in affairs you do not understand? Does my fourteen-year-old son think he knows better than me how I should live my life? Draco considered this. Um, yes? He squared his shoulders, forcing himself to look farther in the eye, though it was difficult. Less difficult with both of the wands in his hands. Father, I just don't want you to choose the losing side. You don't have to do anything about Karkaroff, just... If the Dark Lord calls you, if the Mark summons you, don't go. You got away with it once. Don't get yourself back into it. You can survive. You can protect Mother. You can protect me. And what? 
father hissed. Makes you think I would ever have any desire to protect you anymore. It scared Draco sometimes how alike he and father sounded. He preferred his resemblance to Severus, but he had too much of his father's phrasing and temper in him still. Because I'm your son, Draco said weakly. It came out almost like a question. Are you? Father said coldly, You have what you came for. Give me back my wand and get out. The wards will be closed to you should you attempt to return. Harry was sulky with Draco when he joined them at the three broomsticks, even though Draco left out the part where he'd squabbled with his father. He remained so until Draco had to break his own resolution that Monday afternoon, when Draco asked him if the Gryffindors had gotten to the centaur uprisings yet in History of Magic, and Harry snapped at him. Do your own bloody work, you prick. Okay, Draco said slowly. Don't yell like that around Luna. It upsets her. He ignored Luna's little whisper of I'm fine like she wanted to see the drama. Come on, let's go for a walk. Harry followed him all the way to the dungeons, though he stopped when he saw Draco was leading him towards Severus's chambers. Oh, no, he said, stopping fast. No, definitely not. He won't be there, Draco whined, which he knew were famous last words of his, but it was true this time. Severus would already be on his way to dinner. And I want us to talk alone. Come on, it's not like it would be the first time. Any of you went there since he set the Dementors on us. Harry looked flummoxed by how casually Draco blew past that detail. He let Luna in to have Christmas with us, and then me and Luna and Hermione got ready for the Yule Ball there together. Draco saw Harry's face darken at the mention of the Yule Ball, which Draco understood all too well now. He knew he had behaved like an absolute arse to Harry over all of that, though honestly if Harry told him he'd only wanted to go as friends, how was Draco supposed to know he'd been lying? Harry followed him anyway, though, barely managing to repress his shivers at both the temperature and the macabre sight of Severus's chambers. Draco cast a curt fotchelo on him and bustled him in anyway. Once there, though, Harry got sidetracked by the tapestry that hadn't been there before. I gave it to him for Christmas, Draco told him. Livens up the place, huh? Is that a deer in the woods? Harry asked, looking fascinated. It's beautiful. It's silver. I had it made, Draco explained. It's supposed to be a Patronus. That's the form that Severus's takes. Harry looked thoughtful. Remus told me that his Patronus is a wolf, and the Sirius's is a dog, but that both my parents were deer. My father's a stag, my mother's a doe. Funny to think my mother and Professor Snape would have had the same one. Yeah, funny, Draco said, fighting not to blanch at that information. Any hope he'd held out that Severus hadn't really carried a torch for Lily Potter had gone up in smoke. Poor Severus. So, what is it? Harry said defensively, 
leaning beside the tapestry with arms crossed. Draco refused to engage in his confrontational air, or let himself remember how that leaning body had felt in his arms when they'd hugged for a long time outside the hospital wing. I'm not a mind-reader, Harry. You're going to have to tell me why you're pissed at me this time. Is it to do with Hogsmeade? Harry's face told him he was right. You know I have to make the potion for Remus. You said we'd go every Hogsmeade weekend together. Harry exploded, standing up straight and advancing on Draco menacingly. And there might not be any more after the last one. So you said we'd do them all. But out of the three, we've only got together once. And even then, we met the others at the three broomsticks after. It was like he had to negotiate for Draco's time. Even if the subject of his upset was childish, Harry's anger was always a thing to behold. I'm sorry, okay. I know Hogsmeade was supposed to be, like, a friendship-building thing for us, and I'd invite you to go flying. Honestly, I would, but... Severus took away my flying permission, so why? Harry frowned, and Draco decided to throw him a bone with the truth this time. It wasn't much, Draco said casually. He really overreacted, and all I did was follow Karkaroff after he showed up in potions and threaten and curse him a bit. Draco! Just a bit, Draco whined and pouted. Don't get too mad at me, dragon slayer. I'm not strong enough to stand up to your wrath. I think you could stand up to anyone, Harry said, eyes more serious as he said it, like Draco was some kind of formidable warrior, and not the boy who'd spent his entire time down the trap door with him in first year shrieking at the top of his lungs. Ron said you've learned to duel really well, and that you're super confident. I can't believe you had a duel with him and not me. Harry? Draco groaned, astonished at the depths Harry was willing to sink for his attention. I challenged Ron to a duel because I was angry. Dueling me is not a reward. Harry's jaw set stubbornly. That jaw seemed to look more hewn and perfect every day. Less of a child's face and more masculine solidity. It's just something else you left me out on. You always do that, Draco. You leave me out on purpose, except if you need something. Merlin, this was going to end in Harry demanding the Marauder's map back, wasn't it? That would be disastrous to his plans for brewing Naufragium. You name it then, Draco exclaimed. What do you want if Hogsmeade is all done? What? Do you want to duel me? Yeah, Harry said stubbornly. I think I'd like that. I want you to give me dueling lessons. Draco's ears couldn't be working right. You mean, you want to give me lessons? No, said Harry impatiently. You're the one who's been in real duels, aren't you? You used to go flying with Ron every week. Well, I want one night a week to learn how to duel for real from you. We can go to that room you conjured. Actually, wouldn't it be good for you too? To get practice so you know your limits and you don't get magical exhaustion as much. 
just the thought of the room of requirement, even if the dueling room shouldn't be so bad, was enough to make Draco almost instinctively say no, not to mention the need not to be in small closed spaces alone with Harry, and the fact that dueling was dangerous. Wait, dangerous enough to draw blood? Okay, fine, Draco said. We can have weekly dueling lessons. And not at all, because I'm after your blood. There was a letter from Charlie, finally, which Theo read to Draco. He perched on the edge of Draco's bed while Draco reclined and tried not to fall asleep. Apparently the information sent from Ollivander had been more than enough to identify the dragon who had been the source of the wand although Charlie claimed to have thought that dragon was a mere myth until looking into it. Astaroth. Astaroth, he said, was a byword in dragon tamer circles for the worst-case scenario, exactly what you did not want to happen. He's forwarded a letter from a Mr Taylor from New Zealand who works on the hierarchy reserve there. His grandfather is deceased, but he worked there too, as did his father. The grandfather worked with the dragon, Astaroth, which he said was real. He would tell his grandson stories. Theo shot Draco a sidelong glance. Are you sure you want to hear this? It's not pretty. His grandfather was the only dragon teamer who worked with Astaroth who did survive it. You're loving this, aren't you, Theo? Draco laughed. Maybe you can write a book about all this when it's done. Theo gave him a startled look. That is what you want to do after Hogwarts, isn't it? To write books. Be a real author, histories and legends like that. How did you know that? Theo asked warily, because of course he'd never told Draco that in the red line. Draco just gave him a mysterious look, and Theo looked back at the letter with a heaving sigh. Let's see, there's pleasantries, a bit about how rare it is for an opalite to hurt anything bigger than a sheep but you know all about dragons. Yeah, they're some of the most beautiful and gentle dragons, although there was that thing with kangaroos. I take it Astaroth was the exception to the rule. My grandfather would always tell the story the same. Theo read. He had worked at the Cathedral Reserve at the foot of the Cathedral Peaks for only a few months before he was called back to Sydney in 1891 for his mother's funeral. When he returned in a fortnight, the reserve was rubble, and every dragon and dragon teamer was dead or disappeared. Despite himself, Draco felt a chill to go down his spine. Where did they go? It took three hundred wizards to bring Astaroth down, Theo read, jaw set in a way that showed his own disquiet. His body was massively engorged, though still capable of flight and battle when it was taken down and cut open. The decomposing flesh of every missing dragon and dragon tamer was found inside, although you'd think at that point it might be hard to tell. He ate them? Draco breathed, sitting up finally. Ate them all? The corner of Theo's lip twitched. You would think he would have gotten indigestion. Taylor says it was never known what caused Astaroth to go mad or, or become so strong. In his grandfather's experience, nothing had made Astaroth stand out amongst the dragons, save the demonic name and, and the temperament. He had been called Astaroth as a jest, 
because he was amongst the most docile and sweet of the dragons, so it was known as the Cathedral Massacre. Astaroth's corpse was burned in in the burnt, unhallowed ground of, of the Cathedral Reserve, abandoned henceforth and forbidden for anyone to visit. So how did the heartstring of Astaroth end up in wands? Draco breathed, hand tightening on the talon wand in his pyjama pocket. Theo's sharp blue eyes noticed the motion, but did not comment on it. Because there was a visitor there, right before the turn of the century. Grandfather said he would never forget him. Blonde and tall and terrifying, without the ability to hear the word no. It's not clear why the grandfather did it, whether it was fear or bribery or trickery, but he took the foreign wizard to the site of the massacre and the wizard unearthed the corpse of Astaroth and took what little remained of the, the rotted heart. He said he would take it to the wandmaker Grigorovich in Germany and inquired of him how to preserve it for the, the journey. Grandfather advised him. He obeyed and before he departed he, he cast a terrible spell to destroy the rest of the corpse. That was the last he ever saw of the man more fearsome than Astaroth. He didn't know who the man was. Theo put the letter down, examining Draco with a smirk. The name is right there. I just thought you'd have already guessed. Context clues, Draco. Aren't you meant to be brilliant? Draco just blinked at him, throat gone dry. Theo lifted up the book from beside Draco's pillow. Don't you think you'd better let me read his book now? And it was the name in the letter like a slash of red across the page. Draco refused to let it frighten him. He put on a good face for Theo and haughtily commanded him to write to Grigorovich about the story. Theo agreed and took manifestos of the great Gellert Grindelwald with him. Draco put off Harry until next Monday, saying he needed to prepare for dueling lessons which really meant he needed all the time he could muster to work on his secret potions. Harry agreed, looking happier than Draco had seen him since he survived the Norwegian Ridgeback. Maybe the boy just really enjoyed putting himself in danger, got off on it even. Well, he would have to, wouldn't he, to fancy Draco Malfoy. The remaining supplies were due to arrive by mail order on the 16th, which meant that on the 13th, he set up his cauldron in the shrieking shack, looking more at the marauder's map than his surroundings as he snuck there. He was glad he'd gotten more than enough tincture to submerge the pomegranate seeds fully. That part was easy. Now he just had to wait and hope the witch's ganglion and death's head hawk moths arrived on time. They weren't there by the night of the 15th which had Draco going off to prepare for the dueling lesson even more anxiously than he already would have been. He managed to get the black oval room for dueling from last time, and Harry didn't have any trouble letting himself in. He had changed into muggle clothes, jeans and a red-knit jumper, which meant the lines of his body were more visible. Draco made sure to tell him off for it saying he'd be doing most all of his real dueling in robes, so there wouldn't be a repeat of that. It would be hard enough to teach a Gryffindor anything without having to try not to get distracted staring at Harry Potter's arse. An arse Harry would probably let him touch if he wanted. Draco couldn't think about that. Okay, Harry, 
We're going to start with the most basic thing you need to get good at in dueling. Shielding. Let's see how good your shielding spells are. Shielding? Harry said with a look on his face like Draco had cancelled Christmas. What about the fireball you do? I want to learn the fireball. Merlin. It was like Harry was still eleven. I'm not teaching you anything until your shields are strong enough to meet my standards. I got a book on dueling for Christmas, you know. I'm not just pulling all this out of my arse. Shields are where they start in that, too. Harry was already in possession of a decent protego. Though lean into a spell a bit, and Draco found himself generally able to break it, casting Expelliarmus or a soft Everte Statum. He set Harry to trying to hold his shields as long as possible, time after time. Draco had set an hourglass for two hours, the recommended maximum length of any session in the book. By the time the hourglass was half done, Harry was drenched in sweat, with Draco immaculate in his Slytherin uniform. This is like torture. Harry groaned. Why did I think this would be fun? Oh, you don't want to know how to hold off twenty stunning spells at once like I did. That was a shield, Harry, in case that escaped your notice. But you didn't use Protego then, did you? Harry frowned. I think you used another incantation back then. Protego horribilis, Draco told him. We can get that later, if you like. I'll teach you that after Fianto Diori. Where did you learn all this? Harry marvelled. That book. No, Uncle Sirius. Draco said absently, spilling his wand. He taught you those spells. Harry said, visibly jealous. Well, Draco said sheepishly, Ah, uh, not exactly. Harry gave him an expectant look. He may have used them to shield against me in a duel, so... Anyway, Protego Horribilis can be used generally as a stronger version of a shield charm, but it's particularly useful against dark magic, hence the name. You cast dark magic against my godfather. Draco backed away slowly from Harry's flashing eyes, raising both his hands. Okay, well, um, I didn't not cast dark magic against your godfather, so... Anyway, Protego Horribilis. Harry proved a fine hand at Protego Horribilis, as if he was particularly strong at light magic, anything specifically to fortify against the dark. Draco thought his assessment results would have turned out very different from Draco's. Fianto Diori he struggled with, as Draco remembered Uncle Sirius telling him it was a newt-level spell, but eventually he managed to get some semblance of a shield up with it, just like he'd managed, in one session, to get up some semblance of a Patronus. I'm sorry I'm so terrible at this. Harry sighed, wiping his sweat-soaked face and sitting, with the towel and chair the room had provided for his requirements. Draco sat beside him, ready to launch into the discussion section that the dueling book said was vital to answer any of the people's questions and allow them to recognise their mistakes and learn. You make it look so easy. Harry? Draco said, scoffing. That's just practice. 
way more practice than I ever wanted to get. You're the one who's good at this. You're a natural, just like at Quidditch. It's kind of annoying, really. Harry's eyes lit up at the praise, and the sight of him, so happy for Draco's approval, sent Draco's mind to awful directions. Like, what else would he do for my approval? What else could I train him to do to my satisfaction? There's only one protection spell I know that's worth much beside that, and I've never actually tried it. It's too difficult for me. What spell? Harry asked eagerly, and Draco could tell he was trying to stretch out the session, even though the hourglass had emptied. Protego Diabolica, Draco told him. I read about it in a book on Grindelwald. That didn't get the horror he was expecting. Harry, do you know who Grindelwald was? You do know, don't you? Maybe Harry would be more frightened if he learned, as Draco had recently, the unexpected bit Draco and Grindelwald had in common. Yes, Harry protested hotly. I'm not that bad at history of magic. Not that we ever get to do much about the interesting parts like that. So what does it do? It makes a ring of blue flame around you, Draco said. An impassable barrier, except for your friends. If someone is your enemy, trying to pass through it will kill them. Wow, said Harry, leaping out of his seat. You should try it. Draco was seriously considering inviting Hermione to their next session to put a stop to this kind of behaviour. It's dark magic, you know. You do dot magic all the time, Harry said impatiently, clapping his hands together. What? Do you think you're not powerful enough to cast it successfully? Draco's pride was stung, and he felt that as a warning sign he might be about to do something stupid. It's not just that. It's just way too dangerous. I'm not about to go casting any fire spells in such a small space. Harry rolled his eyes. Draco, there are literal scorch marks on the walls. So those had never gone away. He hadn't noticed. If you let me finish, I would say fire spells where I don't know what I'm doing. Harry sighed, fanning at his flushed, sweaty face, then sighed and pulled his jumper off over his head. The plain white t-shirt beneath rode up with the jumper, exposing a flash of the narrow definition of Harry's taut abdomen before he pulled the shirt back down. So, you're too scared. Draco knew he shouldn't, and yet he heard himself saying, Of course I'm not scared, Harry. Of course I can do it. Just don't go haunting me if it gets you killed. Harry's face broke into a huge smile. Okay, stand back, said Draco. Get behind those glass booths, come on. I'll try and keep the flame circle smaller than that. Try not to pass out from the fumes, all right, chosen one. Go ahead, Harry called challengingly. Try and make me pass out, Frankenstein. The sound of the nickname on Harry's lips made Draco's own mouth go dry. He couldn't think any more what a terrible idea this was. All he could think about was not looking stupid in front of Harry Potter. All right, Draco said, 
and walked to the exact centre of the room before raising his wand. You ready, Harry? Last warning. Try it, Harry yelled, and Draco closed his eyes. Protego Diabolica, he called, making the wand motion from the book, and nothing happened. Protego Diabolica, he made the motion the opposite way, and there was nothing. Protego Diabolica, he tried it the first way, and nothing still, though he saw blue sparks at the tip of the talon. Is something supposed to be happening? Harry called. Draco gritted his teeth. Normally, I have to visualise these things. Wait. Draco lifted his wand and cast Defindo, walking in a slow circle around the radius of the room a few metres ahead of the glass cage. Harry was pressed against the glass, hands flattened on it, leaning forward to watching him eagerly, and any doubt that had crept in, whether he was doing something irreparably dangerous, fell away at the sight of the excitement in those perfect green eyes. Draco walked back to the centre. Okay, I'm going to try again, he called, and closed his mouth, centering himself, imagining blue flames. He could make white-hot blue flames with lacanum in flamari, and this couldn't be that different, and Periander had said his dark magic was potent and his strongest magical element was fire. Draco didn't think he'd been lying about those things. He remembered the feeling in that assessment of letting loose with a lacanum in Flamari until it ripped the chain from its hinges, envisioned the line he'd cut filling with billowing gusts of icy fire, and opened his eyes. Protego Diabolica! And it worked. It actually worked. Draco was so startled when he'd been expecting just sparks and found the end of the talon wand emitting a large burst of flames. He had to concentrate, to start guiding them around the circle he wanted, with the beauty of them the most shocking part of it. They looked hot, and he felt that in the air, the space around the spreading flames starting to shimmer and palpitate with heat haze. But the heat didn't affect him like this was a fire that would leave only him untouched. It looked like Incendio Glacius, except, instead of staying ice, the ice itself began to burn. He remembered the description in the book of Grindelwald, elegantly guiding the flames like a conductor in an orchestra. Draco could see how you would find music in an art like this, melodies like lilting tongues of promise made of fire. The sight of Harry's spellbound frame, still pressed against the glass, made Draco want to show off, to be elegant and irresistible, even if anyone sane would find this display the most horrifying thing they'd ever seen. In that case, Harry Potter was definitely not sane. He was grinning breathlessly against the glass, not afraid of him at all, even now. Draco turned in a slow circle, whipping the flames around the cut loop, feeling his robes whip behind him. The flames looked at once like fire and water, and a mass of blue smoke and light, whiter at the centre, fading to a deep indigo in the haze at the edges. It was jumping up and down in small bursts, and fading back and down like it had a will of its own, 
but it was nothing like fiendfire. And not just because Draco could take hold of those gusts up and down, and make them rise and fall, spreading at his feet for him at will. It was not orange. There were no faces. It was in shape, and it seemed almost pure. As if anything that was against Draco, he could purify the world of it. He couldn't even tell if he had any control over the magic pent up in the Talon Wand any more. It felt like there was no distinction between his wand and his hand, between the flames in his hand. He painted them thicker and higher, until the circle was a true seal. And Harry only a dim figure, behind the heart of winter blue. Draco had never felt such raw magic course through him, and yet it did not seem to be draining him. It felt completely under his control, like the entire world was under his judgment. Go ahead, he yelled to Harry. Go ahead and try it. Walk in the fire and see if I'm your enemy. Really? Harry yelled and Draco let out an elegant surge of flames. Scared, Potter, he called, and heard a defiant you wish before Harry stepped forward. Draco had never attempt <clears throat> Draco had never expected Harry to take him seriously or have the courage to attempt the ring of fire, but come forward he did. The dim figure of Harry moved from behind the glass cage and panicked spiked through Draco. Let's see if it works, Harry called, and Trelawney's prophecy went through Draco's mind. Every choice he had ever made, Everything he had ever said or done to bring Harry to him here, to his death. Because Draco was his enemy. He was lying to him, holding back everything. He was going to be Harry's doom if he loved him, and he... he... Draco tried to call for Harry not to come, but his voice died in his throat, and his fear only made the flames blaze higher, like his fear for Harry had wrested the control away from him. He didn't want the fire to burn if it could hurt Harry, and yet it burned. It won't kill me unless you're my enemy, right? Harry called out and walked into the fire. Draco screamed, the fire flaring to the dark ceiling, scorching it a rustier black. Fire was no longer pouring out of the end of the Talon Wand, but the entire world was already covered in pillars of flickering blue flame, with Harry swallowed inside one, as fatal as Draco had always known it would be for him to trust. And then Harry Potter strode out from the flame, fire billowing behind him in every direction, as huge a halo as any angel could wish for. Draco had thought he was beautiful, drawing the sword from the basilisk's mouth, that he had never seen anything half so beautiful as Harry emerging untouched from Draco's flames. He was grinning, the mad bastard, and walked as confidently towards Draco as if they were in the Gryffindor common room. Draco charged at Harry and tried to hit him. Harry laughed, dodging Draco's half-hearted swipe at his face with his open hand, and caught Draco against him. He grabbed Draco's wrists when he tried to claw at him, still laughing, 
He only seemed to realise something was wrong when he heard how fast Draco was breathing. You, God, you, Harry, I, I could have killed you. Draco babbled, barely aware of what he was saying, and if he couldn't hit Harry, he could let him hold him. Harry let go of Draco's wrists when they calmed, let Draco seize him by the shoulders, and then link his palms securely around his neck. Draco felt his nails digging into the backs of his hands on top. So hard he wanted to hold on to Harry, and yet that light feeling was going into his fingers, making them buzz. You told me to go, Harry said, still so blindly trusting. Was it not safe, Draco? It's dark fire, Draco gasped. Why did you listen to me? I knew you weren't my enemy, Harry said. And see, this proves it. Not that it needed proving, he added hastily as Draco opened his mouth. God, Draco, calm down. I trust you. You shouldn't, Draco yelled, which meant he could not breathe for a good long while. Hands shaking, he ran them through Harry's dark hair. Trying to reassure himself Harry was there and unhurt and still real, still not lost to him. Did it occur to you, to you, Harry, you, that I I could have gotten the spell wrong and that that burns, burns the same real fire, Harry? I trust you, Harry repeated, and pressed a kiss to Draco's neck nosing aside Draco's hair to press his face there. Draco, he breathed, mouth hot against Draco's earlobe. You're incredible. You're the most incredible person I've ever met. And you're, you're the stupidest, Draco gasped, linking his palms again, even as the press of Harry's chest against his the embrace sinking in with their weight going lax against each other, reminded Draco that Harry was the best, and that was the problem too. Why would you do that? I would, I would have, would have killed you, don't you? Don't you get it? How can, how can you trust me? Because, Harry said, sighing into Draco's hair and nuzzling there in that needy, heart-rending way of his. You're a dragon, and dragons control fire. See, Draco? You were right when you told me that dragons were real. You're a dragon. And you're a stag. You were that sure that I'm not your... Then Draco realised he was thinking of it all wrong, just as Harry was. The spell prevented enemies from crossing the threshold. But whose enemies? An enemy was someone who was disloyal to you who wanted to harm you, or put you in danger, or lied to you. And what would the point of a protection spell be if it wasn't to keep out the caster's enemies, the people who wanted to hurt the caster? The way the caster felt about the people walking into the fire, even if the caster was their enemy and wanted to hurt them, it shouldn't matter. The spell was just protection. But if Harry's misunderstood the spell as magical proof of Draco's loyalty, Draco was not in a place to correct him. Draco's head was too full of noise. Calm down, 
Harry breathed, hands sliding up from Draco's waist to massage at his back. You're so clamped up. It's all right now, Draco. Everything's going to be fine. Harry took Draco by the hand and walked them together through the other side of the flames. Harry sat him on the chair in the cage. Draco focused on his breathing, trying to hold back the feeling of bile growing in his lungs while Harry got him a draught of peace. He could feel his heartbeat in his neck, his chest, his ears, his legs, his fingertips, like he was going to be slowly beaten to pieces from the inside by his own heartbeat. Harry gave him the draught. Draco downed it in one gulp and demanded the calming draught as well. Harry didn't begrudge it to him. Draco finished that too, then grabbed both of Harry's hands, seizing them and pressing them to his face, burying it against them as he panted for breath. It was reassuring, that touch, that proof Harry was safe, was here, not ruined by Draco completely. Not yet. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Bridget.